Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. On in our series in Philippians, uh, Nathan, a couple of weeks ago we had a break for Pentecost, which was wasn't it great to? I, I loved last week. I loved um, seeing all the different faces. Um, so we took a break for Pentecost, and uh, we're now continuing on. We're in uh, Philippians two, so if you've got it, I would encourage you to grab it before you. We know and um, we can read actually about Paul's time with the Philippians in Acts sixteen and Acts twenty. So I'd encourage you to do that. Um, this is an informal letter, a tender, warm-hearted letter. It's from a, a loving friend, a brother, presenting the essential truths of the gospel, and that's the context in which we need to hear Philippians two as a friend talking to another friend about the essence of the gospel with no other agenda than to build them up. And so um, today I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. For time's sake, I wanted to read both, but this um, I really like how the Passion has translated some, some of the verses. So I'm going to just purely read from the Passion today, but please do have your Bible version that you read in front of you so that the words, um, you know kind of where I am in the in in the chapter, but let's start. We're just going to read um, verses one to four to start off with. It says this, it says, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You've experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity one heart, one passion, united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness and possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. You know, we don't know what is going on with the Philippian church, what the church situation is, but what we do know is that it's important enough for Paul to address. You can get the sense that he thought this was a danger, this, uh, and the danger being one, a threat of disunity, um, was the thing that was threatening the Philippian church. And there's a sense in which that is the danger of every church, it's when people are earnest in their beliefs and their beliefs really matter to them that they have potential to get up against each other maybe. And the greater said enthusiasm, the greater the danger that they may collide. And it's against this danger that Paul wishes to safeguard his friends. He starts off, if you read it in your translation, I, I would imagine it starts off by saying, if you have found, if, if, and, and, and why the Passion Translation translates it as look is because there's no question, of course you have found encouragement from your unity, from your relationship with the, the anointed one. Of course you've been filled to overflowing by his love. Of course you've experienced a deepening friendship with Holy Spirit. Of course you have. Of course, there's no other way. If you've experienced Jesus, if you've experienced God, then of course you've experienced these things. Therefore, if, if you have, because you have, you've got to pursue unity. You see, when we focus on Christ, we understand that we have been grafted into one body and we cannot fight against ourselves. A fracture within the church is a fracture within the body and it's literally a war amongst yourself. 
anyone who's ever had any sort of internal wrestling within them, whether uh, kind of being not knowing which way to kind of being divided within yourself. I don't know if you've ever had a situation like that where it, literally within yourself you can't make up your own mind. Um, I know that I've had many a time like that. And actually what physically happens to me is when, when the anxiety and the, the emotional turmoil inside gets too much, I actually come out with outside rashes um, on my hands and, and on my chest. And, uh, and it's, it's the same here. Is that emotional turmoil, internal turmoil affects even us towards the outside, even the body to the outside. And so Paul says, look, we've got to sort this stop. Focus on Christ, all that he has done, and consider unity. He, uh, he, he explains it clearly with the three, verse, uh, the three verses which say in three to five, which is, uh, be free from pride, don't allow self-promotion, um, be authentic in humility, put others first, view others as more important, abandon every display of selfishness, and possess a greater concern for what matters to others. To others. You know, um, there's a quote that says, everybody is thinking about themselves, how can unity ever be brought? And you know, this thing of thinking of others more than yourself is so countercultural. I'm someone who um, has grown up in a world which has taught me that I should look out for myself, that you do you, uh, you know, and I'll do me. And that's the, the model we live in, that, that, you know, that if you look after yourself because no one else is going to do it for you, make sure that you're okay. And actually the Bible says, no, Con- take, take what others' concerns are and put them greater than your own. Uh, abandon your, your own selfishness and possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. It echoes Jesus' command to love one another, to put others first. Sorry, come on to love others as yourself. It also said to love one another. You know, we get to choose our friends, but not our family. And we, we also don't get to choose who gets in and out of the body of Christ. And so therefore, we need to learn how to prefer others and to live together in unity with them. For those of you who don't, I, th- I think I bang on enough about it enough, but uh, for those of you who don't know, um, I studied... Um, Bible college for three years in a community and what that meant was was that um, I lived worked slept all in the same area literally within one building there was about a hundred of us and we all did everything together it was interdenominational which meant there was many different viewpoints and it was intercultural which meant it was there was many different ways of living and that honestly was one of the most incredible experiences of my life but I would be lying to you if I said it was always easy and that actually living in community and unity was very hard and something that had to be constantly worked on. And there were times within my time at Redcliffe where, where I, I literally, there was, there, was, there was moments where there was problems within the community and we had to learn how to get over them together. And there were times when, when actually it just became frankly quite hard. And in those times, I learned to pray this very incredible prayer um, and one that really changed how I, I interact with others, which says, it's just simple. It says, Jesus, show me what you see in them. Because there were times when I was just struggling. I was like, how, how can they have this viewpoint? How can they think these things? Because they're so wrong, God. And yet, he said, but Amy, I have created them. So let me show you what I see in them. You know, I chose to bring God into the conversation 
because it's through the Spirit we are unified. And we need God's grace to change our hearts sometimes so that we can learn to submit to one another and prefer one another, not out of fear or out of duty, but out of true love for one another. It is in God, this is a quote by Henry Nguyen, it is in God that we find our neighbours and discover our responsibility to them. We might even say that only in God does our neighbour become a neighbour rather than an infringement, an infringement upon our autonomy. And that only in and through God does service become possible. We need God. And knowing this, God sent his son Jesus to be our ultimate example, which Paul so beautifully describes in these verses. Let's read 5 to 11. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest name of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to his name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God his Father. They're glorious words, aren't they? That's such a great exposition. Um, but you know, to you know, understand this fully, I think we, we have to take a look at the Greek. And uh, Greek is a far richer language than English. And where English maybe has one word, um, Greek often has two, three, four others to, 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 to say the same thing. And in one sense, these words are synonyms. They, they, they relate to each other, but they never mean entirely the same thing. They always have some special flavor. And in, and in this passage, Paul meticul takes meticulous care to, to show two things by using these different words, which is the reality of the manhood of God and the reality of the Godhead of the divinity of Jesus. Let's just take that first thing. He existed in the form of God. There are two Greek words for form. There's morphe and there's schema. I don't know if that's how you pronounce them. I'm just going to go with it. He says they must, be, uh, they must both be translated form because there's no other English equivalent. They don't, but they don't mean the same thing because morphe is essential, the essential form, which never alters. And schema is the outward form, which changes from time to time and from circumstance to circumstance. For instance, the morphe of any human is humanity, and this never changes, but his schema is constantly changing. A baby, a child, a boy, a youth, a man of middle age, an old man always have the same morphe, which is that they are human. That never changes, but the outward schema changes all the time. The word Paul uses for Jesus being in the form of God is morphe. That is to say his unchangeable being is divine. But the outward schema has altered. He remains always, in essence, divine, which is why 
he doesn't grasp at, he doesn't seize equality with God as his supreme prize. Because he already was God. He already had it, he didn't need to, to grab at it, to seize at it. And yet, possessing all of this, he emptied himself, he made himself of no reputation. The Greek is the verb canal, which literally means to empty. Um, when you talk about it, it can be talked about of a container, removing things from a container until the container is empty or pouring something out until there is nothing left. He took upon him the form of the servant, the form, um, and, and the word used here is, is morphe again, which means uh, he wasn't play acting. He didn't just do it for a, a second like the Greek gods used to, that they, they the, so the story's told that the Greek gods used to come down and but they kept their divine privileges. No, Jesus became a servant for us now and forever. He, it was a constant thing. He gave up everything to prefer us, everything. And we see then that through his obedience, through his submission to the Father's will, that he is then exalted. And I want to suggest that why Paul says, let his mindset become your motivation, is that Paul's going, look, if you follow this example, if you empty yourself out, if you take on the form of another if you put yourselves in somebody else's shoes, then perhaps too we will experience the more of the other side, that through obedience we will unlock something greater. You know, in dying on the cross for us, Jesus gave up all his rights. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to. And I, I want to ask today what it would look like if we gave up our rights to be right. That by giving up our rights, by submitting to what Father is asking us to do, which is to be unified, to prefer one another, we will find that we exalt Jesus into his rightful place, which is the highest place, highest place, and that we will also find freedom and fullness of love in unity. It says clearly here that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, and will submit to his name. But I want to suggest it doesn't have to be one day. And that actually, what it, would it look like if we all chose to submit to his will today? Let his mindset become your motivations. Jesus said, didn't he? Um, I, I think I'm saying all of this, and I'm, I'm really aware how maybe challenging this could be. That actually, you're going, but Amy, I... I like there's the injustice that I've felt over situations, the injustice that I've experienced... You don't know what it's been like. You don't know what they've done. How are you asking me to give up my right to be right because I've been wronged? And I don't want you to hear that, but I do know, um, I do know that, you know, and I, that, that it's something that I've, I've experienced and I've had to go on that journey. And I do know, um, and I'm not going to say it here because this is being live streamed. But if you want to know some of my story, you will know that Actually, there was, there was a moment in time where I had to give up my right to be right and choose forgiveness, choose to prefer somebody else despite them maybe not deserving it. And what I found was that there was beauty on the other side, that there was freedom on the other side. And I think God knows that. I think Paul knows that, which is why he's encouraging us into unity. I tell you, if you're going, but Amy, I'm not, I'm not Jesus. I, I'm not that good. You will do greater things than I, is what Jesus said. And I don't think that just 
applied to miracles or to uh, leading people to know him. I think that applied to every aspect that we can submit to one another. We can, we can do this. We can let uh, his mindset become our mindset. What would it look like if we gave up our right to be right? I think we've got a really clear picture of that in verses 12 to 16. He says, my beloved ones, just like you've always listened to everything I've taught you in the past, I'm asking you now to keep following my instructions as though I were right there with you. Now you must continue to make this life, new life fully manifested as you live in the holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. God will continually revitalize you and planting within you the passion to do what pleases him. Live a cheerful life without complaining or division amongst yourselves. For then you'll be seen as innocent, faultless and pure children of God. Even though you live in the midst of a brutal and perverse culture. For you will appear among them as shining lights in the universe. Offering them the words of eternal life. If you can, if you can humble yourselves. If you can, if you can submit to one another. If you can live a cheerful life without complaining or division within you, then, then you will be seen as innocent, faultless and pure children of God. Then you will shine into the world around you. You know, um, I think it was in a Bible study I was doing either this week or last. Um, and we started to talk about actually that sometimes we might be the only Bible that people ever experience. We might be the only experience of God that people ever may see. There's a responsibility on us to shine for God. Because you know how we live and the way we live does and will impact those around you. Um, I will never forget, um, I, I studied at Redcliffe for three years and for two of those years I had this, um, my friend, I had a friend that was there for two years, I'd, I'd been there a year before her. And about a couple years after I'd moved to Fleet, a couple years later, um, we met up again and we, we spent New Year's together. And there's a whole bunch of us from Redcliffe and we had like a mini reunion and we spent New Year's together. And, uh, and so we spent the weekend together and, and coming towards the end of the weekend, uh, my friend said to me, Amy, can I ask you a question? But it, it might offend you. And I said, yeah, of course you can. And she said, what's happened to you? Because you're so different. You're calmer, you're... You're, 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 you're different, you're lighter, you're, there's, there's something different about you and I can't put my finger on it. And I had the real joy of saying, one, I was actually really encouraged by it and I said, look, look, the difference is that I've allowed Holy Spirit to do a work in me and to change me from the inside out and what you're seeing is just him shining through me. I don't think I put it quite as eloquently as that, but that was what was happening, was that she was recognising what Holy Spirit had done in me. And she, she knew me. This wasn't someone who kind of just, you know, she, she'd lived with me for two years. She'd seen my ups and my downs. She'd seen my good moves and my bad. She knew me and she saw the difference. Often something the, the, the kids say when I go into schools is, you're, you're, they, they don't put it as eloquently, but they... They see the difference in myself and you know who we work with. They see, they see there's something different about us, that we shine. And if we don't live out some of the things that Jesus is asking us to do, it impacts on the world around us. 
What I don't want you to hear today is that where you've been hurt, where you have been wrong, doesn't matter to God. That you should just sweep it under the carpet. Because it does matter to God and it does matter to us as a church. It just does. But what I want you to hear today is that a fracture in the body hurts the entire body. And so actually there's a great responsibility on ourselves to to pursue unity, no matter what that may look like. It doesn't mean that we will always agree on what's right. But we do need to learn how to prefer one another, to submit to one another, and to love one another as God is asking us to do. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. When we become unified, when we work towards that, and I realize it's a process, it's a journey, but we will shine and we will impact on the world around us. We will show who our God really is, someone who did all of this first. Let us never forget that. He isn't asking us to live in something that he hasn't already achieved himself and shown us how to do. This is who our God is, and the way that we live reflects upon him. But when we get it, when we grasp it, we will shine into the darkness. Let us pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you took on the form of a servant. You gave up your right to be right, to bring us into unity with you. And so, Father, I actually just pray right now that you bring to mind any area where we are in disunity with the body. Right now, Father, would you would you lead us into repentance for that? Would you show us how to put others first and view others as more important than ourselves? Would you heal where we've been hurt? And would you implant into us the mindset of Christ, that that would become our motivation? Would you continually revitalize us, implanting within us the passion to do what pleases you? And would you shine through us? Would you shine through us? And would the world know that you've shown us a different way to live? And will we see the freedom that comes through that? Join us together with one heart, one passion, and unite us in one love. Let us walk together with one harmonious purpose so that we will fill your heart with unbounded joy. In your holy and precious name. Amen. If, um, if anything I've said has affected you or um, you're like, actually, there's, there's something that I need, I just need some help with, please do get in contact with the leadership. Um, we may be separated, but we still love to pray with you and to, to hear from you. But uh, let's, let's go out. Let's walk in harmony together. Let's love one another. Let's prefer one another. And let's, let's shine because this world needs a light right now and we... We can do that, guys. Come on, we can do that.
Brill. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.